Hello, everybody, and welcome back to an all-new episode of Artsy Fartsy Immigrants. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Um, It's going to be another solo episode this week. And uh, unfortunately, I have to approach this entire episode, or at least the first chunk of it, with a pretty heavy topic, kind of a sombering topic. Um, You know, I I usually try to think of what I do, uh, (laughs) if you can call it professionally, but I try to think of what I do with um, these, you know, funny videos or with this podcast in particular. Um, what I try to do with it or what, what I aim to do is to kind of take people away from the uh, ruts of their life, like to take them um, to shine a light uh, in the darkness to kind of, um, in a sense, give them some hope and uh, an escape, uh, a distraction. Um, you know, I think that's kind of in a sense what the goal of any kind of entertainment is. It's to take you on a journey and to give you um, a story, to give you some experience away from the routines and the struggles of real life. And um, yeah, sadly, you know, I just don't think I can create something like that, at least at the start of this episode. Um, but I also think it's okay, because first off, it's my, it's my show. Second of all, I think that's also something that I want to make or like what I want to, uh, what's the, what, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, it's something that I want to, um, make as like a concrete staple of my, um, relationship to you guys. Like what I want as like a, an understanding, like an, uh, like an unspoken, agreement or like a uh, uh, something you can trust in is that I'm not gonna lie or like fake how I feel uh, when things are just real you know um, I've done episodes of the show b- before where of course I've got things going on in my uh, personal life I mean who who hasn't you know taken a phone call with a colleague or with a family member or a friend and kind of just put it on a little bit because it's easier than getting into all the gritty details. And that's kind of the same thing. Like when I I have done the show before, of course, um, when things aren't all sweet and dandy, because it was more important for me in these moments to, like I said before, bring some some entertainment to you. But also what I want to um, hit home, or what's also very important to me is that um, I'm honest with you guys, because having this platform and having this opportunity to uh, speak my mind to people who are choosing to listen to it is a kind of a miracle. And uh, I don't understand it, but I'm very grateful for it. And that's what brings me to the first um, part of this episode today, which, yes, is serious. And yes, isn't um, so, you know, isn't so happy. Um, Sorry, excuse me. So, my Aunt Julie, 
So let me talk a little bit about her. And I know for my mom listening, she, um, maybe I'll give like a time code at some, maybe I'll like edit in a time code where you don't have to hear the nitty gritty uh, since my mom is, you know, you know, in, in the moment of recording this, like currently experiencing it, experiencing it and has been experiencing it for a long time now. Um, if you want to skip to what I have uh, listed here as like some topic changes towards the end. But um, my Aunt Julie is um, the first of three kids on my dad's side. So my dad's the middle child of three. Um, the firstborn was Julie, um, born such a beautiful woman when she was younger. I mean, the photos, the rare amount of photos that I've seen of her as a teenager or in her 20s, um, just gorgeous, you know, just natural sort of olive brown skin, um, black hair, and um, so very full of life and very funny and sarcastic. And I kind of hate to say it because uh, it almost like diminishes all these nice feelings I have about her, but um, I don't have a lot of memories as a child of her when she wasn't suffering from some kind of addiction issue or suffering in some way. But what I do have a lot of memories of is that not getting in the way of her personality. Um, And now she is unfortunately in a place where that personality cannot exist anymore. And I think that's the hardest thing to see. Um, she, you know, this has nothing to do, I believe what I'm about to talk about has nothing, I think, directly to do with her previous addiction issues, but that did play a part in, um, you know, many, many, many years, um, of her, um, maybe it's not even my place to say, because it didn't affect me, you know, her, her addiction and her suffering and her disease didn't affect me, but it affected her two children, which are my cousins, Tyler and Tricia. It affected them a lot, and it traumatized them, and I can only imagine what that must have been like. And I know to an extent what some stories are, and I won't go into those things, but um, my dad's side of the family has quite a novel of predicaments and issues. Um, you know, it stems directly, for the most part, I would say, from their pretty perplexing parents. Um, That's a whole novel on its own. But my grandparents on my dad's side, um, although due to unfortunate reasons with my mom's parents passing away when I was very young, um, I never had the chance to, you know, as a kid kind of compare like, oh, am I going to go to these grandparents or these grandparents, what they do differently. And I never really grew up with two sets of grandparents, sadly. And I know that my mom wishes very much that we did, and I really wish that we did too. That's why my middle name is Lewis, is from my, from my mom's dad, which I really love that. Um, and I've always been very, I've always really liked that name, and I, I like how it's spelled, I like how it sounds. And so I've only, only ever really known my dad's parents, so when they're your only set of grandparents, you forgive a lot as a kid. You you kind of let things go. You don't see everything that they do. Um, and it's only until you're older when, you know, your frontal lobe develops a bit more and you're a bit more aware of your surroundings. And when you, the parents get a little older, they start getting a little more loose with their tongue, 
uh, letting stories come out in moments of frustration and reflection that you start picking up on things and realizing maybe these people that you had an image of as a kid are not so perfect after all. And boy, oh boy, is that the understatement of a lifetime that my dad's parents were not uh, perfect. They were very far from that. Um, Nobody's perfect, but these, in very extremely different ways, these two people made a lot of mistakes as parents. And again, that's just a whole different thing. But these three kids of my grandparents, um, the princes, um, all have their own unique um, problems. And addiction, um, because I have so much respect and understanding and empathy for addicts, and I'm a big supporter of people seeking that kind of help and Um, like, you know, I've talked about it before, but probably one of my greatest heroes in comedy is Matthew Perry. And, um, he was such a, an inspirational speaker about addiction and so well thought out and so, so wise and so, so connected to like the pulse of, of the disease itself. And, um, I really don't blame my aunt Julie for her addiction issues, when I was younger, because it is a disease. You can only, as Matthew Perry said famously in an interview, you can do so many things to keep yourself from having, in his case, that first drink. Like, you know, you can have your support group, you can have your therapy, you can have your, you know, uh, all these processes and, and, and steps that you take and all the work and the hours and the years you put into it to not have that first drink. That's the extent of the work that you can put into it, and it's hard. But if that first drink happens, the disease, it is an actual disease, and it takes over. So I don't blame my Aunt Julie for those years and what she went through. It is a disease, and I think she just didn't get the help that she maybe needed. Um, Again, my biggest issue with my family in general, and excluding my brother, my brother is such a miraculous person that I have so much, so much respect for. I look up to him so much. Um, excluding my brother, my entire family, I mean, I also can't speak too much from my mom's side because we were kind of, um, sheltered from them to an extent, which was weird because my dad was weird. There's so many things. It's a complex story here, but, um, the, the side of the family that I'm talking about just isn't great at really communicating or facing a problem within the web of the family, like head on. They aren't good about uh, addressing problems they have with each other, problems they have with themselves. They're not good at, you know, communicating openly, empathizing with with how other people might feel about choices that they're making, Um, having forethought or um, some sort of, I don't know how to put it. It's just, um, it's just like they have, didn't, it's like they didn't train a, a certain muscle in in learning how to, um, you know, learning that the quickest solution and the best solution for 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 relationships, especially in family, is to immediately communicate a problem, be open, be honest, and be loving, and then follow up. You know, touch base about things and um, assume that the other person, you know wants to know and to all these things. So it's, it's, it's complex, but, um, 
my dad's side, him and his two sisters, again, he was the middle child, so they have a younger sister. All of them have just the most, like, interestingly diverse and complex problems, um, which, from what I can tell, except for the disease of addiction, which, again, you know, Julie being at the age that she was when, when um, you know, the Oxycontin... Uh, what's it? What's the big pharma company that was pushing that so hard? Uh, Purdue Pharma, when they started pushing that, was exactly at the age when she was going to the doctor for some pain she was having, I think, in her back. And uh, she was prescribed the wrong thing so that people could make money. And uh, that's not... And it, the thing is, I'm talking too much about that. It's not... That's that's a big part of my identifying memories of Julie, is her addiction. But I want to make it very clear that what what I will always remember her for the most, what I what I will miss the most, is her personality. Because regardless of whatever I was told about her or whatever I saw myself in those later years, she was so funny and so sharp. And so loving, you know, and her and uh, her daughter, Trisha, would have these quips that were just so sharp and so, I don't know, so funny. I don't know how else to say it, just like so funny. She was just so funny. Um, And all of my, like my dad and his two sisters, all three of them developed um, their own individual skills in being funny. Um, and I'm sure that is where I developed like my need for that attention to be the funny person or the the interest in being funny um, or you know part of that you know like at these family Christmases we had those three Julie, my dad, and the youngest Jennifer were all so funny and they were so sarcastic and so sharp. And, you know, sometimes mean, sure. Um, and probably what wasn't so healthy was like whenever we would leave these family events, my dad, you know, in a very funny way, like talking direct trash about his family to us, which, you know, embeds this understanding that we're different from them or like they're worse people or something. And as a kid, you just, you shouldn't hear those things. Um, so again, that's just all like forgivable things. He just wasn't, you know, he just wasn't taught right, you know? And, um, anyway, I say all this to basically paint the picture of this family, this complicated family with complicated problems, everybody having complicated, um, you know, long lasting, deeply embedded, you know, mental and emotional health issues from their, you know, very abusive uh, father and um, emotionally detached mother and all these things. So again, very long story. Point is, Julie, um, either, I think it was very early this year or just late last year, but I think it was even just this year. Uh, My Aunt Julie was diagnosed with what is famously known as Lou Gehrig's disease. It's um, ALS. I'm going to try and say it right. It's uh, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, also known as motor motor neuron disease. It is a rare and terminal neurodegenerative disease that results in the progressive loss of motor neurons that control voluntary muscles. 
Um, I'm just going to read a little bit about it here. Hold on. ALS is the most common form of the motor neuron diseases. Uh, early symptoms of ALS include stiff muscles, muscle twitches, gradual increasing weakness, and muscle wasting. Um, let's see here. Around half of people with ALS develop at least mild difficulties with thinking and behavior, and about 15% develop frontotemporal dementia. Motor neuron loss continues until the abilities uh, to eat and to speak and to move, and lastly, to breathe, are lost. Most cases of ALS, I mean, we're talking like 90 to 95%, have no known cause and are known as sporadic ALS, um, like Statistically, up to 85% of cases of ALS are, have an unknown cause. Um, and only about 15% are, are thought to be genetic or environmental. Um, there might be a history of disease in the family. This is called like familial ALS, hereditary ALS. And about half of these genetic cases are due to disease-causing variants. In one of the four specific genes, the diagnosis is based on a person's signs and symptoms with testing conducted to rule out all of the other potential um, causes. There is no known cure for ALS. Um, the goal of treatment is to basically slow the disease's progression and to improve some of the symptoms. Treatments that slow ALS um, are, you know, all these big, crazy, long words, extending, basically known as like extending life by, you know, about seven months or something. Mechanical ventilation um, or, or what's known as invasive ventilation may result in improved quality, um, but it does not stop the progression. And eventually, you know, if needed, you'll probably have to get a feeding tube to maintain your weight and nutrition. And um, death is usually caused by respiratory failure. The disease can affect people of any age, but usually starts around the age of 60. Julie, I believe, is something like 64, 65, maybe older. The average survival from onset to death is two to four years. The, the average survival length. So death is imminent. There is no escaping it once you're diagnosed. And the survival length is two to four years, but this can vary. Sometimes, like, around 10% can survive longer than 10 years. Um, all of this comes to basically say Julie, I believe early this year, was diagnosed with ALS. And I think it could be today. It could be tomorrow, but I, I'm pretty sure this week my Aunt Julie's going to die. And that's a really crazy thing to know. I, um, I remember, I remember when my, when my Aunt Julie died, uh, sorry, when my Aunt, um, Aunt Anne died, um, not that long ago. And that's my, my mother's wonderful sister. And, um, that came as a shock. That was kind of an overnight text thing that um, when I woke up in the morning, Ify told me. And that was, um, you know, that was tough. T toughest on my mom, of course. That was like her best friend since she was born. 
Um, Aunt Anne was 16 years older than my mom, so she was like a babysitter as soon as mom was born. Can you believe that? It's crazy. Um, and again, I, I really, you know, the thing is, I, it feels weird to have all this attachment and um, sadness about it when really, or I don't know, maybe I'm being too self-critical, but I wasn't as close with Julie as I was with Anne, and I really wasn't that close with Anne after I moved out of Mississippi. But there's something about those childhood relationships you build with family that just stick with you. And um, knowing how vibrant I always found Julie, it's really hard to watch her suffer from a disease that has no cure and no known cause and literally just breaks down your body like a cruel punishment. Now, I really wouldn't wish this disease on anybody. The last time I saw her was earlier this year. I visited um, family in Tennessee back in March, I believe, March or April. And it was already tough to see her because she she needed constant help to move around. Um, her tongue, she lost control of her tongue, so she tried to talk, but it was really sad to listen to her talk. And um, on top of all this, and now I should say the progression is so horrendous, um, you know, like let's say March or April, I saw her still kind of getting around, but she talked weird and she just was a little bit of a different kind of version of herself. And everyone kind of pretended that it wasn't really sad, but you still kind of like, there she is, she's still here. It's It went from like April to, to now where she is um, like a sedated vegetable on a bed. And pretty much any minute, it's just going to stop. Um, and I think it's going to be a relief for her family in a sense, but also on top of all this, what's I think maybe been the hardest for everybody is that, um, Julie, you know, it's probably due to the deterioration of her, um, ability to understand things or like her greater understanding, like her greater self-awareness, I think, um, or her like deduction skills have been so deteriorated over time that she just even like to the last minutes, uh, you know, of her abilities to communicate and everything, she never believed the diagnosis. I think that's, that must have been the hardest thing for everybody is to see her wasting away and to try, in a sense, you know, to offer some kind of ease or just like lending an ear or some sort of some some sort of shoulder for her to cry on to like to to digest this diagnosis. And she, as far as I know, even until today, as of this recording, still never believed the diagnosis to be true. She always thought the doctors were wrong and that she was given a medication that, um, you know, started messing with her um, motor skills, like making her tongue go numb and her walking get more difficult. And um, that makes it kind of harder as well because you almost kind of like need them to understand what's going on so that, 
You don't want them to die in mystery or to die in confusion. At the same time, you don't want them to die at all. And if they do have to, then maybe it doesn't matter if she believes it. Or the thing is, like, I, I, it's, it would, it's very hard for me to imagine that she's going out thinking that all of us are wrong and stupid and believing some conspiracy, and she's the only one who knows the truth. Um, how terrifying would that be? If you're the only one in your whole family and all your friends or whatever that believe something else and they're trying to tell you like, no, no, it's this. And you're the, you believe so much wholeheartedly that it's something else. I don't know how much of it is her maybe trying to like deny this because it's such an extremely life ending, horrific, um, traumatizing diagnosis, you know, could be, um, but I also think it's probably just um, because it's so... Uh, I also think it's just because her, her brain just isn't capable of doing it. I don't know. I'm Just denial. It's just denial, you know, so... Yes. Um, so, you know, probably by the next recording of this podcast, um, Julie will have passed on. Um... I reached out to my cousins. I heard back from from Trisha, Tyler. Not I haven't heard back yet, but I I can't imagine what they're going through. I mean, this is their mom, and you know, given her issues in the past with how they were raised and everything, I think it's a really complicated thing for them to experience, um, particularly. Tyler in a, in a way, because I think Trisha, ever since she had kids, has found a, a sort of an outlet or a, a door has opened in her um, that's so much more loving and forgiving than, than I ever thought her to be when, when we were younger. Uh, but I haven't seen Tyler physically in person in years, which is so sad. But he moved to St. Louis and he has a family now. And I don't know what he's going through, what he thinks about all this. When she was diagnosed, I spoke with him a bit, um, and he was, you know, grateful for me reaching out and was really, he seemed honest and like, yeah, it's really tough, but, you know, it's let's see what happens kind of thing. But, you know, it was very short, short exchange, and I'd love to, like, see him and just give him a hug and just say, like, man, I'm so sorry that this is how this ends. Um, you know, their their dad is still around as well, and I think he was also a bit in denial from what I understand. I don't know if this is, I know, I think he wanted her home also, like now she's in hospice care, which personally I think is probably best. I don't know how expensive it's going to be in the end, but, but, you know, she couldn't walk. She couldn't go to the bathroom. My mom went and stayed um, for two weeks, I think, at her house, and he had to commu- she had to communicate everything by text. She just wanted to sit on a chair on the porch and just like hold, she couldn't even smoke, but she just wanted to hold a cigarette all day long. So she would just hold these lit cigarettes until they burned out all day long. And it's just, I'm almost glad that I don't have to see it because I don't think I could handle it. Hmm. I'm supposed to FaceTime her tomorrow. I don't really know what to expect. I don't know if she's just going to be laying there with her eyes closed. I don't know. My brother's been amazing through all of this, keeping me updated, um, offering things like the FaceTime 
and um, yeah, he's yeah, they're all there now. My my dad's there, and I I really hope my dad, um, because he has such um animosity towards his family. I really hope that he left her with some sort of words of like love, because it's the last time he's ever going to see her. I mean, if there's no better time to let go of personal feelings about how their relationship hasn't been, you know, over the past 20 years or more. Um, what better time than, than on the actual deathbed, you know? So I really, um, yeah, if you know anybody or have, are connected to anybody who's been diagnosed with ALS, I'm really sorry. And it's not easy. Um, I think it's really disgusting to even have this thought, but I almost feel like I'm, I'm almost lucky that it's a member of my family that I haven't been in close contact with in, in such a long time, because I think if it was someone who I'm still very close with, I think I would just crumble. Like, I, I already feel like kind of on the edge of emotional, like, <laughs> crumbling. I feel like so close to the edge of falling apart now, just thinking about it and thinking about seeing her and having all this memory of how great she was as a kid. But that side of the family, no one talks, no one visits, no one, everything fell apart, you know, after my, after my grandparents died, nobody, you know, my dad's youngest sister, Jennifer, she was a thief and a liar and a crook and she disappeared, you know, she does her own thing. Um, Julie was always, you know, bedridden in hospitals, just pretty incapable of kind of doing a lot on her own, just, um, you know, kind of spiraling and my dad doesn't deal with it. You know, he doesn't visit. He doesn't go by and see them. He doesn't call them. There's no relationship. And it's really sad to see that. And it makes me so happy that I have my brother. And um, it scares me to think about, like, my parents or my brother passing away. And um, I can only kind of, like, beg to myself, like beg to God that it's like a peaceful sleep because if something like this ever happens to anybody that I'm really close to, I'm not going to be capable. Like I am not going to be good for a long, long time. And I'm really like, I hate that I'm getting to the age where I'm like starting to lose people. That's so unfair. And I'm not someone who gets hardened by this. Like, you know, when we lost Anne, oh, dude, that, I broke. And I hadn't spoken to her very much at all over the years. You know, maybe one phone call or something or seeing her casually at somewhere in Mississippi when I would visit. But she was so happy to see me and it was so sweet. She would send me all these letters like with newspaper clippings and like things from the Bible and yeah, maybe I thought she was a little crazy, but she was so caring. She was so sweet. It was only out of a, out of a place of, of love and like protection, you know? Um, with Julie, I didn't have that same relationship, but I see this kind of like, this like um, lost potential in her. Like what a cool aunt she could have continued to be. What if she had, you know, gotten out of this rut with her medications? What if she had, like, fixed, like, turned her life around and, 
you know, been more present and like rebuilt her relationships with her kids and maybe traveled a bit more with them? What if she had done this? What if she had done that? And it's just sad to see like that there is no more chance for that and that this is how someone you had such a um, great, you know, like I always looked forward to seeing her. And that's how it ends. It's just so, it's just kind of this the slap in the face of like, dude, life is so not fair. And it's, it's like this vicious thing. It's just this very, very vicious thing. So you got to, you got to get in those special moments with your, with your close people while you can. And that's, that's, um, if, if any, positive thing can be taken away from this horrible turn of events. It um, should be that, I suppose, um, that it should be a reminder that everything goes very fast and that stuff like this is random. It just happens. And then you're, she's diagnosed and dead within a year, you know, and um, it should be, a reminder to drink in these special things and to, to leave a, to leave a great memory with your, with your family, you know? Yeah. Well, I don't think it makes any sense to try to spin this episode into different topics or to try and be funny. I think I would just be forcing it because I have some things written down here, but it feels like fake to try and like switch the knob and, and go into something goofy. Um, this is a, this was a real, it's a real thing. And I think everybody can relate to um, something like this, you know, in some way. But um, for anybody who is listening to this, you don't have to worry about me. I don't want it to sound like I'm just being just being very vulnerable with you and being open and honest and honest with you because that's at the end at the beginning of the episode that's what I wanted to make like very clear is that I'm always going to be honest and I'm very grateful for everyone who spends the time to listen to this I'm sorry that it wasn't you know an escape this time around but maybe it helps you um, reflect on if you're having a small fight with your wife or husband or something or if you're annoyed with your kids or, you know, you, you, you're being you're planning Christmas trips with that annoying cousin in your family or something, maybe it helps somehow just reflect and calm things down that it's just so fast and it's so, can be just taken away, but like one day to the next. So yeah, maybe it serves as a good purpose for that, but sorry, it wasn't a funny episode, but I needed to get that off my chest. And um, most importantly, you don't have to worry about me. I don't want any messages um, saying, you know, are you going to be okay or something like, I'm communicating a lot with my brother right now and I talked to my mom a lot today and um, everything's going to be fine. It's it's tough and um, it's a part of life, unfortunately. It's, the, some, it's a way of exiting this experience that we know is life in one of the worst ways, which it just makes it so tough. It's just so unfair. Um, but I'm grateful that um, it's serving as an example of, uh, uh, like I said, like a reminder to to enjoy these uh, small things, these small things of being in the moment with people that you love. Um, yeah, 
guys, you know the drill. <laughs> I'm going to wrap things up. I'm not going to do my normal shtick here. It would be too false. Uh, it would be too... It would be super lame to, to do my usual end of the episode shtick here. So I'll just say um, thank you for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful, beautiful day. If you have a partner or you haven't called your mom in a while or you have some kids at home or something, give them a big kiss. Give them a big hug. Tell them that you love them. And um, thank you for listening. I love you guys. And I'll be back next week. Look out, baby. The saints are coming through. And it's all over now, baby blue. Artsy Fartsy Immigrants. Ein Podcast von John Prince und Moritz Batscheider. Produziert für M94.5.